Blog Talk Radio. down every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA, we give our side because that's all we know. This is a labor of love. That's why we do this show. From the murder mitten to the sunshine state, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. What's good, sports fans? Welcome to another episode of Sports Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And it is Thursday, February 9th, 2017. And we're so happy you're here with us for tonight's episode of Sports Q&A. Before we jump into all of the breaking sports news and angles, let us tell you how you can find us. You can check us out on Twitter at sports underscore QA. Also, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Follow us on Instagram, sports underscore QA as well. Check us out on Facebook, sports Q&A the fan page, as well as the group. Also, Sports Q&A, uh, Q&A, our actual page, which is low, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington. That's low, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington. And last but not least, check us out on our website, www.sportsqanda. Dot com that is www.sportsqanda.com. And last but not least, give us a call tonight, 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. What's good, Q? Everything is everything. Just coming off of... <clears throat> Uh, a great Super Bowl, um, some craziness in the world of sports, on and off the court, and, and just, just this wonderful world we call life. You definitely can't beat that. And uh, we have some breaking news, but before we jump into that breaking news, I want to uh, give a shout-out uh, to the Detroit Lions 
Uh, they had a Black History celebration uh, today at the uh, Charles H. Wright uh, African American Museum in Detroit. Uh, they did it in conjunction with Detroit Public Schools uh, athletic department via the football program. Uh, they had panel discussion which featured head coach Jim Caldwell as well as Joy Bell, uh, Rob Sims, former Lion, who is now who says he's a Detroiter and he's in real estate, which I didn't know. Uh, and a couple other Lions, but the um, to me the highlights. And you, I'm a, I'm a history guy, especially when it comes to sports history and in particular Black history, not just during Black History Month. But the Lions had on site. Mr. Wallace Tripton, and I don't know about Q, but in today, until today, I had no idea who Wallace Triplett was. But Wallace Triplett was the first draft pick and first Lions player of African-American descent to play for the Lions. Now, they had had some uh, undrafted players that had played in the league, but he was one of three, the first three uh, draft picks drafted. Came out of Penn State. He was a halfback. Uh, and I'm gonna give you some stats because his his Lions career was not long, uh, but it's, it was impactful. And he still holds records to this day, which is crazy. Um, Triplet uh, played for the Lions from 49 to 50. Uh, he was a 5'10", 173 yard, I'm a 73 pound uh, halfback, as I stated before. He still holds the Lions' single-game record in kickoff return yards with 294 yards. Wow. In that, he had a 97-yard touchdown return, and this was against the Rams. Uh, in that game, he averaged 73.5 yards of return, which is an NFL record as well. Um, and he set, at the time, he set the Lions' record for the longest run from scrimmage, an 80-yard touchdown against the Packers. Um, he was interesting. Now here, here comes my conspiracy theory aspect, but (laughs) following the 1950 season, he became the first NFL player drafted into the military service for the Korean war. Um, when he returned from duty, the Lions traded him to, uh, the Chicago Cardinals at the time and he retired in 53, but he stayed, uh, in the Detroit area, uh, and did jobs like teaching insurance and working for Chrysler. Um, wow. That brother is 90 years old. And here's another for our, for our Greek listeners. He was one of the founding members of, let me make sure I get the chapter right, because it's not us, of the Gamma Nu chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha at Penn State. So this guy is a history maker all around. Uh, he's 90 years old. He's wheelchair bound, but it was a great, uh, it was a great event overall. Uh, the panel discussion was really good. The, the coaches and, uh, and former and players and former players really talked about kind of their path, who inspired them, what kind of racial barriers that they uh, encountered along the way, uh, and it was a good thing for them to kind of talk about with it being all football players. Basically, that life after football, what does that look like? Football being a tool uh, to get you in the door 
of doing other things, but you still have to do that. You know, like with Rob, uh, uh, Rob Sims being uh, a, uh, a realtor, flipping houses, commercials, uh, commercial uh, realtor, all those things, those are the things that football allows you to do. Um, so it was, a, it was a great event. I applaud the, uh, the Lions and uh, Detroit Public Schools for their relationship with the Lions, which they you know, also use Ford Field for a city championship as well. Uh, it was a great thing by all, and I don't know about you, but I always feel some kind of way when I'm in the African American Museum and they take us through, through the portion in which they talk about and show the different things of uh, what Africa had as far and has as far as riches, riches the evolution of, of man with the first remains being found in, in the continent of Africa and the slave trade. Um, and that's what we kind of, that's what we experienced today. Uh, I mean, a lot of the young men were kind of taken aback uh, uh, because a lot of times, a lot of them, that was the first time they've been there. Uh, but it really makes you kind of focus on things and really kind of, kind of helps you to try to make sure you do your best uh, and you uh, put your best foot forward as far as representing yourself and your race. A lot of people don't look at it like that, but you do uh, in everything that you do. So, I mean, it was a, like I said, it was a great event. Oh, I forgot. Herman Moore was there. My, uh, I took uh, four of my guys from uh, the Southeastern football team there. We got to uh, take a picture. They had some giveaways. One of my guys won uh and this will be up your alley because I know you said your man came. You wanted to start decorating the mini helmets. He had his mini helmet that mm-hmm. was signed by uh, Golden Tate. So they had some footballs that people won for Lions trivia and all these other stuff. So it was a really great event. Coaches uh, had a great time. Players had a great time. Uh, once again, a lot of things that happened under the radar. And if you want to look at it uh, and look at pictures, if you go to DetroitLions.com, they have – couple articles and videos up already and pictures so you can check it out I, I don't I didn't look to see if I was in there yet which I really don't care uh, but it was a great event uh, so you know we really you know want to promote Black History Month during Black History Month and all year round but since the since the spotlight is on it we want to give a lot of obscure black history facts uh, that people didn't know so hey I was looking for a fact Earlier today, and I found it in my in my travels, so I was happy about right. that. So. Now, I'm glad that you brought up the the Charles H. H. Wright Museum, and I appreciate it being in the city. It's a a treasure that not enough people take advantage of. And um, but here's my thing: at what point are they going to? I guess it, whether I guess it's because of size, because of funding. But just like what's taking possibly a cue from the, the Smithsonian uh, Museum in D.C., there needs to be a major overhaul in that museum in addition to probably other, other African-American history museums across this country. We need to uh, – black history did not start – or black, the bulk of black history is not the transatlantic slave trade. Right. And it's like for us to have a national treasure like this gentleman in the city, why why is this why isn't this being more known? 
I mean, I even look at the Lions. Shame on them for not having uh, an area, uh, a display case for him to be showcased. This is him being the first black draft pick of the organization is historical. That should be one of the that should be one of the main things that is highlighted in the annals of the Detroit Lions, Ford Field, Allen Park, and everything. Everybody who steps into the if you walk around that stadium, at some point you should know. If you walked around that stadium, you should okay, I know who that is. Yeah. Because I've seen it. I've seen the plaque. I've seen the the acknowledgement. I've seen all that. Where is that? I mean, we have – I give the Tigers credit for ha- having the Detroit Stars Day growing up. I think they still do it now. So they acknowledge the importance of the Negro League and the greatness that it had in in baseball. But we still need to have that expound, expanded to definitely football, uh, the Pistons, and, and other aspects. I mean, some of these universities also. We should know who the first is. We should know who the leaders and best of that look like us. Who was the first black player to play football at Michigan? Who was the first bas- black basketball player to play at Michigan State? Those things should be common knowledge because they should be, and, and for better lack of terms, so common knowledge is so forced down our throats when we walk, if we walk in breath and if we walk in the big, big house. They do it for every other reason. So I, I, I appreciate today, but today shouldn't have been nothing different. That should have been just a recognition of him being 90 years old and living this long. Not because, oh, this is a person. Half the people in the room didn't know who he was. Yeah, I mean, it was um, like I said, I'm not gonna give uh, say an excuse for the, for the Lions, uh, but I think things kind of go in a supply demand type of of uh, trend as opposed to just doing what's right and recognizing um, just greatness and pioneers. I mean, the thing is, is a lot of times. Uh, people who um, do great things and are the first don't do it to be history makers. They do it because they uh-huh. have a dream or whatever it is. I mean, I mentioned, and I can't think of his name to save my life. It was he went to one of the smaller campuses of what is now Texas A&M, and he went as a basketball player, a full ride. And he mentioned kind of a, almost like of a a story that was kind of like um. In, movie. Uh, what's the movie with Texas Southern? Uh, not Texas Southern. Um, Texas. Glory Road. Yeah, the Glory Road, kind of when they went to the restaurant. Texas, and they uh, the UTEP, basically. Yeah. yeah, so he kind of mentioned the story like that, and then he also mentioned how his coach stood and teammates stood up for him, but the coach, before they went in anywhere, would go and check to see if they served uh, black people. So, you know, it's a we've come a long way, and a lot of times People think that we've made it, but uh, in a lot of ways we haven't, and we have to keep pushing toward a greater equality. But promoting uh, players uh, and accomplishments uh, should never cease um, from organizations or even from individuals. Uh, You know, we find this out. I'm definitely pushing this out 
in the kind of did you know? Uh, B Hunt was at the event. Uh-huh. He pushed it out. Do you, you know? A did you know? Because it, I mean, you don't really recognize when you're in the month in the midst of greatness. You kind of look over, especially. I mean, I'm gonna say this generation because they really don't know who it is. I, and I'll use an example of what we were talking about just before air, and I was talking to somebody else about it. There was a, a different world kind of uh, panel that traveled to uh, one of the community colleges here, and it was not kind of widespread, and it kind of got, I mean, it was sold out with free tickets, but it was sold out by a generation who who didn't necessarily benefit from it. They've seen the reruns, but they can't relate. There were no cell phones on a different world except for Whitley. Uh, <laughs> so really not a situation where for us, that is what our first look of college was. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we were kind of in between happy days and different worlds. You know what I'm saying? But happy days, it was they were, it was basically high school, and like one guy went to college, and then so, but different world. Everybody was in college, and it was like all these experiences. It went through the gamut of that, and it kind of was like a motivation for a lot of people to want to either experience that or to see what that was about for them. Uh, even right. in Greek, right. uh, it covered a lot of things that. We really didn't understand then, but when you go through things, you understand it after the fact. So after the fact, yeah, yeah. I just think that you know, and well, what you said I mean, just basically summed it up. You know, you never know who will be inspired by having this information out there. So mm-hmm. I hate when you have entity entities, people that think, oh, they don't want to know about this. You don't know. It, and I've always tried to take on the mindset, even if only one person benefits from it, that's one person that did not know, and that's, that could be the one person that could be a catalyst for change somewhere else. So mm-hmm. don't say, oh, if you go to an event and only 10 people are there, or you have an event and you have an event and only, you only get 10 responses. Let those 10 be the the people that, that you were supposed to reach and move from there. But to dwell on the, 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 the hundreds that didn't show, that's taking it away from the ten that realize that this is an important that was important to them. And that's why it's it's always important to find out who's who who did what, when did they do it, how long did they do it. And and it's just because a lot of people like you said, a lot of this and I'm not even just gonna blame it on the younger generation. A lot of people that aren't history buffs or don't appreciate history, take things for granted. They they hear things, they think black wealth is a is a, a long a long standing thing, or they think the, the establishment of what we have now has been long standing. No, this is 50 years, 75 years. You have people in our families that never, that are still alive that never partook of some of these benefits. Some of these yeah. things that we take for granted. You have first generation going to school, first generation being athletic uh, scholars, first generation just having seen some. I mean, being able to see the benefits others that others take for granted. And you have to realize that okay, you have. I mean, it's just with sports and just trying to tie back into that. All these, every, this greatness that we're seeing. Is, is once in a lifetime. You look at LeBron, you look at even AP, you look at uh, the, the, 
the, the records that are being broken now that by Steph Curry, this is memorable. Well, because we we're so microwave, or we're so caught, we so we're so by the moment we look at things like this. Wow, they're not that great. They're not better than this. They're not better. No, they're pretty good, and we have to appreciate them like that because what if we don't? We we may never ever see a guy as talented as LeBron James ever again. But we're we're wasting our time comparing him to Jordan or Kobe. But we're missing who LeBron is. That's true. Appreciating what you have, and uh, even though it, you don't have to be a fan of him, you can respect him. I mean, I didn't. I'm I'm not a fan of uh, of Jordan because he didn't play for my team, but I respect what he did and what kind of player he was. Now I can argue. You know who's who's best, which is natural argument, but you don't do it at the detriment of the other person. I think that's being done so many times that people kind of look at it and it's kind of like uh, you know disregarding what people's accomplishments are to kind of push up whoever you feel, in your opinion, is is better. So uh, I mean, it's just a thing to, to stay aware, and and teams need to look at this as well. I mean, I'm pretty sure at this point in time, all professional teams have some form of minority or diversity team that promotes awareness to the fans. I mean, I know the Red Wings do, uh, or they, uh, well, no, that was NHL, but I had the chance to meet Willie O'Ree. Again, Mm -hmm. in the educational setting, the first black hockey player to play in, I'm kind of, I'm kind of blessed with meeting these great and first these uh, sports pioneers uh, just being through, and it's through education, because it's through schools. It's, you know, it's, it's same thing with Willie O'Ree. I, I still have a signed puck from him. Um, but that's the thing, is that people wouldn't know. People kind of look over and take it granted, just look at the now, but there would not be a now if it wasn't a then. And I think that's the most important right. thing. I think people should take advantage of this month and let it carry on, carry on. Watching these things, watching some of the, as I call, the struggle films and the things that show the real story of where we were, and you can kind of see that we may not be as far as we need to be, but those are the things that instill uh, that my belief system of what we are and what we should do, and my pride of being an African American uh, by watching those PBS specials, because that was the only thing we could watch. <laughs> The PBS special, right. the, the Eyes on the Prize, Little Boy King, all those things. I mean, that was a yearly thing. And now you have access to so much more. My cable company has a thing of black cinema. Now, granted, all of it in deep. <laughs> some of it is just black comedies. But some watch something you haven't watched before. Watch a documentary. I mean, Netflix has a ton of them. Binge watch those. I, I know I have a, a, a vacation in two weeks. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to watch at least five documentaries. Because I get into it and I want to learn more about things that I didn't know before. So use it as a point to, to gain knowledge and also learn. I mean, just search your favorite team and find out who was the first black player for that team. Oh, by this time, I said maybe maybe hockey, but I'm pretty. I'm, I was want to say I'm pretty sure that every hockey team has had a black player. Uh, but search and see, because then it'll kind of, it, it references other people, and then next thing you know, you're digging in, researching uh, the history, put things in where they are now. So, 
uh, it's a great, it's a, it's a, like I said, it was a great thing to be able to participate in. Uh, applause again <clears throat> to both organizations, but um, it was great. Sorry, folks. Yeah. Don't give me. No, hey. They appreciate it. Those that really understand. Black History 365. Right. Always. All right, so. We here. You want to do the breaking news or point counterpoint before we go into the? We can do the breaking news. Do, 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 do. Breaking news, hot off the press. So, I'll give you a little bit. So, Quinn and I are on a lot of different uh, blogs and a lot of other places where we get information that the regular public doesn't get in advance. And we've been hearing and reading some things about some potential issues or concerns in East Lansing uh, regarding the Michigan State Spartans football team. Uh, And there was a lot of uh, pushback, a lot of denying that certain people were involved. We still don't know who was involved, but denying people were involved. A lot of stories popped up and then magically disappeared. Uh, very quickly, uh, but today, uh, and I, I don't know if it can't, had to do a little bit with uh, with uh, MSU losing this uh, uh, case uh, against, uh, I mean, to ESPN regarding uh, doc- them releasing their documentation regarding the name of the athletes who had gotten in trouble back in two, uh, 2015 and what the university did to uh, uh, to give them uh, punishment, uh, so to say, they were they released it, but they didn't have the names. Now they're going to release the names, but it was for outside the line report. So now basically they've created their own report on them, their own. So they kind of released a statement today that three players and one staff member of the football team have been suspended uh, pending an investigation uh, regarding the potential sexual assault. Um, it's hard to tell. I, I, I looked on their roster based upon some of the names that I saw yesterday that were rumored. I saw those names still on the roster. So they're suspended, so they're still on the team. But, I mean, it's only a matter of time before those names are released because, um, you know, you have your beat reporters. They'll have some predetermined workout. I mean, they can't have it too much longer. I think they got two weeks before they start camp. They're five-week camp, uh-huh. so it'll be – maybe they're hoping to buy in. It'll be resolved, but usually things don't move that fast. Um, so we'll go ahead and see. But what is what is this saying? And now is it a is it just a uh, a coincidence? Is it an outlier uh, occurrence? Uh, or is there trouble in East Lansing across the board? Um, I, w- I don't want to say this for risk of being the, the hater, considering that we're both Michigan fans, but this coupled with some other information and some other things that are going on there up at the campus, um, it, it is somewhat troubling. Um, the other, there was also some other speculation. One is kind of far-fetched, and I'm definitely not going to report on that until I have some more tangible information. The other was, an incident 
that involved some students. And I'm saying students now because while there was video, there, the video was not clear enough to reveal who was directly involved. But there was a fight. There was a, there's a video circulating the internet and that was reported out of East Lansing, out of Lansing, where an individual was severely beat up, robbed, and left for basically. I'm not going to say left for dead because I don't know how hurt he was, but he was left in the snow for his friends to pick him up. Now, there's been some, that was the initial speculation that it was kind of based off of that. So does this involve football players? We don't know. Does this involve basketball players or anyone affiliated to the athletic department? We don't know this yet. But it, when you get this much bad press hurled at your school or coming out of your program or your university – it can't look good. And you have, I mean, this is something that has to be addressed. Um, this is, especially with sexual assault. We see what's happening down here uh, in Baylor. We thought it was a matter of a handful of guys. It, it turned out to be what some would deem lack of institutional control because you had coaches covering up things. You had uh, so many things where some people are truthfully calling for the death chapter for Baylor. Now, state, I don't think it's this bad, but when you have a staff member involved, it's bad for this. And I, I hope it wasn't egregious cover-up or where he was like, okay, no, it didn't happen. Look the other way. You shouldn't be doing this. It, it, I, I never would hope that anyone would do that and, and put a victim in harm's way. And I say harm's way because allowing this to perpetuate, because if you allow these young men, whoever participated in this act, to think that they can get away with it, what's to say they don't do it again? And that's my fear. And that's my fear whether this was Michigan, whether, I mean, this goes back to even with Michigan having their issues. Once we found out with Brandon Gibbons and his sexual thought, uh, there was some reports that uh, uh, former offensive lineman Taylor Lewan. Uh, was kind of involved in it. Gibbons was removed from the team. A lot of fans from other programs didn't feel it was fast enough, but he was eventually removed, and, and Michigan did their diligence. That's all I want for this, because at the end of this day, football football doesn't matter. It's about the safety of this young lady and whoever else is involved in this campus or because I pray to God nothing else is coming, nothing else comes about where this is the sec, This is just the first of many things to have happened. This, they just happen to get caught. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too. Uh, because the thing is, you want to beat them on the on the on the field. You don't want a total collapse of, of the program due to uh, indiscretions and bad judgment and. Just you know, things going. You know, things like this tend to be highlighted a little bit more when your team has had coming off a bad, a, a bad season. Um, and you know, just had an announcement earlier this week that their uh, projected right tackle decided not to play football anymore. And odds are, it had nothing to do with Michigan State. In his statement, he said that he started losing love for football in high school. He wants to focus on his career, want to be an FBI agent. Uh, you know, I applaud him for making a decision that's best for him. It doesn't help Michigan State program, especially since he did it after 
signing day, so they weren't able to address a issue. I mean, a, a position that they thought that they they had taken care of. So, uh, you know, I just think that um, it's a wait and see. Um, you know, the athletic department has released this statement. Antonio hasn't said anything. Uh, I think he's going to wait to say something until uh, going to wait until all the facts are out, which I think is best because he's going to be asked questions that he can't answer uh, and can't say anything. Uh, it would be different if it was in season. He would have to address it because players wouldn't be at practice. But right now, players are suspended. And I think I read in an article they're suspended from, from live, being on campus as well. So, so they removed you know, from uh, campus houses. Right. So they may be in some alternative housing. Uh, it didn't say whether the classes I assume that they would be because they're suspended. But, you know, that would be a dead giveaway from somebody on campus. Uh, it's a lot of things that are occurring. But like I said, these things tend to happen when a team is not uh, performing as uh, people thought that they would. But uh, it's kind of a two-be-determined type deal. And um, like I said, hopefully these young men are clear because situations like this tend to ruin careers and lives, and not just the lives of the players, but also the lives of uh, the the victim, if there is a victim. And everything is yeah. speculation right now. So there's no – I'm not – I don't know any facts. The facts that we know is just are just what's out there. Three players have been suspended on suspension, one, one staff member. So uh, that's kind of where it is at this point in time. And with that, we're about to go to uh, a quick break, and then we'll come back with point and counterpoint. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to Sports q and It's 8.35 in the p.m. Give us a call at 760-539-3269. 760-539-3269. Now comes to my new favorite part of the show, which is Point. Counterpoint. So today's point and counterpoint really relies on aspect in which is is almost like a, a, a age old question when it comes to struggling teams, more so in the NFL. Which way do you rebuild or build your franchise? Is it through the draft or through free agent. So Quinn, I would defer to you to give the listeners your points. I mean I can I see the, the need for both, but if I'm a GM and I'm starting or I'm trying to build my organization the way I want it, you gotta go through the draft. Um you're able to mold your players. You're, you're able to do the scouting. You're able to do the, the research. You're able to interview these players and determine, okay, does he fit our scheme? And also, does he fit our culture? Uh, so often you, you, we see these mock drafts 
we're gonna especially with the end of the season, we're gonna see these versions of one, two, three mock drafts from Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, the, the crew at NFL.com to the draft. And most of them are obvious picks, but some of these other picks never take into account the most important thing, and that's character and fit off the field. And that can be addressed, and that's that's easier to address and deal with when this is a guy I've watched. I've talked to their coaches from high school, college. I've talked to their even people close to them, and I can see, okay, yeah, he is a good player, but he doesn't fit our culture, and he's going to have a hard time fitting in. Um, and, and somebody mentioned this earlier, and it's like these guys, these rookies are quite. You can mold them. Once you figure out, okay, he fits and he fits, he fits on both aspects, now I can shape him. Now I can turn this guy that was once a defensive end into a left tackle, and it works because I know he has the – the the mindset to do it. He, he's willing to do anything. He's willing to run through a brick wall because he wants to play in the NFL. Whereas you're less to, you're less apt, apt to find that that position change for a free agent. He's like, I played this position all my life, all the time I've been in the league. You're not going to change me. And that goes for even for players that want to change the style of play. I'm an off corner. I'm a press corner. I've been a press corner. How are you going to make me a zone corner? Well, this might not work. Whereas you get a guy that shows the willingness to do this, to be a press guy, to be that zone guy, whichever whichever fits your scheme, you can take that 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 talent and go to the next level. I mean, look at New England. The 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 amount of back end draft picks, undrafted guys that have been a part of that organization and, and succeeded. It's because they found guys that, that fit. Now, they still dip into the free agency pool, and they also make true uh, trades, but the majority of the guys that have found their their biggest success for New England have come through the draft. And I hope with uh, Bob Quinn being from that, that tree, so to speak, that's where he sees the, the best way to rebuild the line. I mean, you can find a couple of pieces that – at free agent, but the majority of the, the acquisitions this year has to be through the draft. Hello? 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 Well, I'm not sure what's going on, so I'm going to just try to keep it going. And once Al jumps back on, I guess we'll get his counterpoint. Um, the the best thing, like I said, talking about building through the draft is being able to find that talent that you want. And you can find that, that hidden gem, that, that guy that every, no one knows about, that, that linebacker that played for a small school, not because he didn't have the talent, but maybe some personal issues, some family issues, some size issues. He was a 
5'11 linebacker his senior year of high school, but once he got to college, he had another growth spurt, and that puts him at 6'2", 6'3". Now he's a dominant player. Now he's a more of a, a scheme-fit player and allows a team like the Steelers, like uh, Baltimore, who, had, who do a great job of drafting and scouting to find you and pick you up when other teams tend to be looking for the obvious selection, the obvious player from the big school. Now, yeah, everybody knows that sometimes getting a player from Alabama or Clemson, Ohio State, it works. They know about playing in the big, big environment on the big stage, but sometimes having that guy from a Stony Brook, having that guy from a North Carolina A&T, and he's he's hungry and he just needed an opportunity and got a late start with a late bloomer. He's just a big of a, a piece to your your winning uh, formula, or that that or even better talent because that guy coming from that big school had a, a myriad of players around him to kind of overshadow his weakness. So, I mean, and that's definitely the issue that Alabama players tend to deal with. Um, so many of those guys never live up to the hype. You have your Julio Jones. You have you even had your Dante Hightower that both played in the Super Bowl this year that find their way onto the big stage and perform. But what about the, the D. Milliners, the, the Kirk Patricks? the guys that were drafted high that never lived up to the Alabama expectation, never lived up to the Alabama uh, hype. And for someone like uh, Nick Saban, at that point, it's irrelevant. I told you as a recruit I was going to get you to the NFL. Now, what you do on that level when you get there, that's up to you. Interesting to see how and who comes through and definitely this year, keeping your eye on, on those those lesser talents, the, the Corey Davis out of Western Michigan. They had a great season, but a lot of people still don't know who he is. So can you can your team find those guys in the draft that gets them over the hump? Can you find that guy in the sixth, seventh round to be that gem? Because every first round is supposed to hit. Second round is supposed to hit. The teams that succeed, succeed because they found that that seventh rounder, like a, a Julian Edelman, who was a quarterback at Kent State, or they find that undrafted receiver, like uh, shoot, plenty of guys, that un, undrafted player like James White, the running back, uh, that that ends up performing well on the on that next level. So it's just interesting to see how things go. How you back? Um, but. Just interesting to see how things continue to progress with these teams. And this is where, speaking on the Lions, and definitely the Cowboys down this way, um, this is a pivotal draft for both teams. For the Lions, because everybody assumes that they have a lot of pieces of field. But I think for the Cowboys, it's, it's just as interesting and necessary because they have to find one or two pieces, and that may be hard to find depending on what position, who they have left on their board by the time they pick at the back end of each round. 
I've heard the need for a wide receiver to kind of be compliments to Des Bryant, the 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 pass rushing defensive end. They still haven't found. They tried Randy Gregory. They they tried uh, a number of guys, and they uh, that still hasn't worked out. So I mean, are they going to go that route? Could they try again at the will for offensive line? I mean, you have. A great line, but at some point these guys are going to need to be paid, and paying offensive linemen does, does not come cheap. You also have that elephant in the room called Tony Romo. Are you going to get rid of him? Are you going to uh, move on from him? And what if you do? What are you going to get for him? So that's the key. And then they also have an issue with defensive back. Are you going to move on from uh, from Mo Claiborne? A guy that was a top five pick, somewhat of a disappointment, but he had a, a decent season last year. A guy that you know maybe could have some value here, but if you got to choose between him and Brandon Carr, obviously Brandon Carr, who hasn't missed a game in the last couple of years, and is definitely the epitome of one of those small school guys that steps up big coming out of uh, Michigan's Grand Valley. Um, Definitely going to be interesting. They need, they have some pieces, but they're going to have to decide who's who's important. And, and the best thing to happen for them is two of their best three, two of their best players are playing on their rookie contract, so they don't have to worry about them being paid for a couple of years. Conversely, the Lions have a, a sign that says "Help me at every level," whether it's depth or whether it's immediate contributors, you as a Lions fan should be excited for this draft, but also worried for this draft and free agency period because if they don't get certain pieces, it's going to be a long season. And, and me personally, I look at defensive line, um, offensive line also, if they decide not to bring back Riley Reese, uh defensive back, linebacker, which I feel they need too, because they, contrary to what Al thinks, they need to move on from DeAndre Levy. Yes, he came back, even though I didn't think he was from the injury bug this year, but he's still a shell of himself. At some point, you're going to have to find someone that's going to be able to fill in at that position and play at a high level. They need help at cornerback. Some people say, oh, that's a cornerback in the first round. I'm not one of those guys. I feel that they can find a guy even at the third round that could be of, of significant help if it fits his scheme, if they fit the scheme that the Lions are looking for. Um, free agency is going to be key. Yes, I'm arguing for drafting, but the Lions need to pick up some players. That way that will address the depth so that they can go find the guys that they need and draft and make it a lot easier. Is that Al back? Hello? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? Okay. Yeah, yes. I, so, yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, well, I do know what happened. Some, my Wi-Fi just spiked, and it went down, and it kept you logged in, but I was not able to log in, and I'm logged out, so I had to actually call into the show, and then when my Wi-Fi came back up, I had to... Put myself in the queue. I take myself out the queue and put myself on air. But with that, 
I, I see Q jumped into the free agency piece, but I want to do my counterpoint. So Q is arguing, do it through the draft, uh, do a good job of evaluating your talent, the character, all of those good things. Um, my counterpoint, even though I agree with some of that, um, is for certain positions, mainly the leader of your team quarterback, if you have the ability to get a proven commodity with it. Because the thing is, is that sadly, and especially in the NFL, coaches don't get those those three years. I mean, do you really think that Hugh Jackson is going to get three years in Cleveland if they continue to play how they are right now? And they're in a situation where they're having quarterback issues. Now, I'm not saying sell the farm for, for a QB because I don't think there's a QB that's a non-starting QB, which I don't know what NFL team is going to, is going to trade their, their starting QB for uh, to another team. Uh, you need to get either a veteran uh, backup who has some, some NFL experience when you look at a Romo, who's probably at the top, but his window is short, that would be a perfect opportunity to get you a your quarterback, and you can still get you a quarterback that you can develop over the two three years, and have and Romo know that hey, I have this amount of time to make a difference, and I'm also my understudy is here, so it's a known aspect. Now I'm not stating, and I'm using this as example. If I get Romo, and I'm using Cleveland as my example, so. May not work for all teams because you look at San Francisco and 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 the Bears. I think the Bears are in the best position as far as talent, but once again they struggle in other pieces. But if I'm Cleveland, I'm using Cleveland as my example. I will find a way to trade for Romo. Once again, Jerry Jones is not going to fetch a first round for Romo from anybody. Uh, you you get trade whatever you get for Romo. That still allows you to get an impact player with your first round draft pick, uh, your first couple rounds draft picks, to get impact players that you will be able to to see an impact. Wherever you see your de- your weaknesses as Cleveland, Cleveland has a lot of gaps. Whether it be that uh, that middle linebacker or that D back or that that center that you lost with Mac. There's a lot of places in which you can go and you can get a solid player that's going to be that five to eight, ten-year vet, solid vet in that position. Now, granted, if you go out and say, well, I'm going to get a running back at number one pick or I'm going to go after one of these, again, unknown commodities with these QBs that are out there, you may have a problem. I may need to go ahead and get this DN so I can get some pressure, which will give us some additional plays on offense by stopping. So my thing is for key positions, I'm not saying every position. I'm not saying do what the Lions used to do, go after the big names and 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 uh, whether they're still in their prime or in decline, I'm saying go after the key positions. If quarterback was the position of need for the Lions, I'm saying go after Romo, but it's not. But if I'm Cleveland, hell, if I'm, if I'm Chicago, I wouldn't do it if I was if I was uh, the 49ers because the 49, 49ers are the only one, uh, only team that's dealing with a first year coach and that, or, so they basically hitting the reset button. So 
they could draft. Um, Chicago, in my opinion, out of the three teams, have has the best head coach. Um, but going back to my opinion with Cleveland, I think Cleveland should find a way to be able to trade for a quarterback with NFL experience. Either develop your quarterback that you have now, cut, cut ties to him by trading him, and go after the quarterback that you feel that you can that, that you can develop, which you don't want to get a first round draft because basically that's telling Hugh Jackson, well, you just the uh, the dead man walking because he won't be able to see right. whatever comes to fruition from everything else. And if I'm the coach, I'm not going to be the lame duck coach. If you go ahead and say, well, we is GM. We're going to draft the number one draft pick, but well, then you're going to go ahead and you have to buy me out because I'm not staying here for that. That's not what I signed up for. So now, uh huh. Oh well, let me know when you're done because I'm gonna I'm bring a merge situation that allows you to get what you want, but also kind of help a team that another team to acquire talent through the the draft. So I'm gonna listen and I'm no, gonna chime in once you. No, go now, ahead. Because I mean, I'm just summing it up. Go ahead. Now here's here's a scenario. You have a quarterback in New England that performed pretty well in in, my, in, in relief for Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. If you are Cleveland, San Francisco, maybe the Jets, maybe Chicago, depending on how you really view things, are are you going to be willing to trade your number one pick? See, Cleveland is in, is in an advantageous position because they have two first-round picks, the first pick and the 12th pick. Would you be willing to trade that pick to get Jim, one of those picks to get Jimmy Garoppolo? No. Because the thing is, it's, it's still a short sample size. Just ask Houston. Do they have buyer's remorse? Granted, <laughs> he was more, he was he he was more. I think he was more impressive than than Brock was. Um, but I don't think his, his sample size is enough for me to go ahead and make that trade. As he's the saving grace. I mean, Brady what Brady may say that he has three three to five years, but I don't think he does. I mean, you know New England is going to do what New England does. If if they feel that his, his stock is high, they're going to trade him and they're going to tr- get the farm for him and then trade those picks and then get something to you know, get a player that they can mold and next thing you know they got the next pick, nobody who is overperforming. Turned into somebody. So, <laughs> I mean, but I guess my thing with that is, but if you if you were willing to take a risk with Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky, with Deshaun Kaiser, who are, I mean, haven't played a down in the NFL, and you have no idea, isn't Garoppolo a better pick, even if you only know 25% of what he can bring to the table? I mean, the thing is, is that if you're bringing in a, a veteran, you're bringing him in to play now and to win sooner than later. If you're drafting... You're bringing him in to take his lumps for the first year or two and then start progressing. We're looking at to progress from, I don't know, Cleveland had one win, from one win to five wins to seven, eight wins, and then playoffs. 
if you're drafting a brand new quarterback. But if you're bringing in a vet, granted, Houston won the dang old division again because of the D, but did they progress? No, they didn't. So if you bring in a vet as Cleveland, the expectation level is going to increase without necessarily the talent pool increasing to the extent of the expectation level. And then there you have an issue where now fans are expecting more, fans are going to be more critical, and you're not there. It's like thinking that you're there that you're not. And it's a, a recipe for disaster. The coaching staff can't win, players can't win, develop. It's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Don't do it. If I am a team, even if, I, I'm even trying if to figure a team wins. that – Gives up that twelve number twelve pick, not the number one pick. You still get your Miles Garrett, Jonathan Allen, whoever you want from that pick, but you give up the number twelve pick. Who, unless you're maybe taking Dalvin Cook, or there's the risk kind of lessens at the twelfth pick instead of the number one pick. You still wouldn't do it. No, he's not worth the first round draft pick. No way, he he not worth the one. Through 32 first-round draft pick. No way. If somebody does that, it is a sign of desperation. <laughs> is this, I mean, what quarterback would you trade for a first-round pick? Well, here's a question. Would you trade Romo for a first-round pick? No. So why would you trade Jimmy for a first-round pick? No, what no, is no. he showing? Huh? No, no. My reason for not wanting to trade Romo isn't because – of the skill set, it's his, he's 36, and he's injury prone. Now, if if Tony Romo was 30 and had a healthy back, yes, I would. Okay. Deal with that, given who would you trade? A nine, and I got to be a non-starting quarterback because Romo's not a starting quarterback. What backup from what team would you trade a number 12 draft pick for? Exactly. I'll give you time to look through the backups if you want to. No, but I don't, mean, the only is... one, the only one out there is Jimmy G. That, I mean, that even is worth having the conversation, it, not saying that it's going to happen. Right. It's the same thing. It's all this is is the same thing with Brock taking advantage of the supply and demand. But the, but the supply and demand has absolutely nothing doing with the talent. It actually has to do with the talent pool being so so shallow. So because there's nobody out there but him, we're gonna overpay him. Yeah, and, and give him the hands of this team who's already not there's not an NFL competitive team right now. You are gonna give him the helm, and then what? I mean, but I think that happens with not just quarterback, but a lot of positions. You have oh, I, if you got I, that. Yeah, I agree. That that defense. But the quarterback, tackle, as we we know, we know this when we talk about this quarterback. So I think out of all the positions, and in the NFL, quarterback is the most overvalued and the most uh, what what word do I want to use? Underwhelming position. Production wise. You can put up all the numbers in the world, but I'm talking about actual good quarterbacks in the NFL. Less than a third of the NFL quarterbacks are are good. Yeah. So with that being that, 
then why in the world am I overpaying for it? Because the market to be mediocre. The market was set years ago, and we can't get out of it. That's the problem. And that's what I tell people, even when you talk about Matt Stafford and this potential $25 million extension. It's not that, yes, do we believe, do we really believe Matt Stafford is a $25 million quarterback? Heck no. But the market and those before him who are just as mediocre, if not worse, set the table. And it's unfortunate, but what are you going to do? Say, oh no, I'm not. I'm only going. To, I'm sticking to this eighteen million dollars. Then you're not going to have a quarterback, and then you're going to really suck. So that's the problem. That's the conundrum that you have in the NFL right now. You're you're tied to one position that you have to pay, even if you don't want to pay. And that's the beauty of the Dallas Cowboys right now with Dak Prescott. They're doing. They did what they did last year with a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal on a fourth-round deal. This wasn't even a first-round pick where you have four years guaranteed with a fifth option. This dude doesn't even have four years guaranteed. He has three in the option. So they're definitely going to milk this. And, and it sucks, and it's like, okay, people crying about paying Stafford three extra million because at the time his contract is up, he'll probably be making 22. So are you really going to move on from Matt, from Matt Stafford for $3 million? And then potentially have to pay somebody else that's less qualified seventeen million. Give me Stafford in that eight extra million dollars. Well, I agree. I, I agree. I agree what you're saying with that, and the 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 market value for a a good quarterback that you can pay it through free agency. But I'm talking about trading for a cat who with such a small sample size that you're putting him in basically a tier below the Matt Staffords of the NFL. I'm not, I'm, and that, and the thing is, yes, you'll probably see it happen. You probably will see it happen and you'll probably see the negative results because teams don't have the patience to do things the right way. This is the, this is the prime reason why the new England Patriots have been good for so long because they have never, I ain't going to say never, they have rarely done things in that manner out of desperation. They will cut somebody and trade somebody because they know they don't want to pay them that much, bring somebody else in who may have talent, maybe have been underwhelming somewhere else or had some character issues, and we're going to bring them in, and those people are going to get in line. Why? Because we're in New England, and you have a chance to win the Super Bowl every year. Why? Because we all buy into the system. They don't act under desperation and no level of the game. And, I'm, and, 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 and I, that's why they've been good for so long. But everybody else, no, everybody else is like they're scared to do it or they don't want to do it because they don't want to be like New England. It's like, like we all have our, our, our stores on the same street, the same storefront. One store is making a million dollars a year. Everybody else is struggling to get to 100000 But yet and still, nobody wants to borrow the things that he's doing to, to, to get a million dollars. And we wondering why, but we still mad and swear we competitive yeah. when we not. It's true. And, and it, it, it's no coincidence that the teams that we're talking about have struggled with their ownership, with their GM positions, and, and doing what you said just do. Cleveland, Chicago, San Francisco, and even Houston. It's like, dude, 
at what point do you say, okay, we're not going to buy into this, or we're going to, we're going to, there are three positions that we're going to pay, quarterback, left tackle, and depending on what scheme that you you play defensively, a rush in. Somebody that can give me 10 to 15 sacks a season. If you're not doing any of those three, you're not getting paid. If that means right. us walking away from, and I'm just going to throw names out of equivalent, not saying that this is what the team is going to do. If you're going to walk, we'll be willing to walk away from a Joe Hayden. We'll be willing to walk away from a Lawrence Timmons. We'll be willing to walk away from a Dez Bryant because you don't. You should never command this much money playing that position, and that's what got the Lions in trouble a couple of years ago. Their three top play, paid players were a quarterback, a defensive tackle that was not a pass rusher, consistently, and a wide receiver. Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, where it is, and the thing is, like, when is somebody going to just get the picture and, like, we can do this and be competitive? I mean, when you even look at it, like, yeah, you can be competitive and be Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's happy. I would be happy about Pittsburgh. I'll take a Super Bowl every eight, ten years where I could catch New England on a down year or uh, one of our facets of the game steps up to a point where we can go in and surpass them and get to where we're going. Yeah, I'll take that too. It, it, the thing yeah. is, it, it, it comes to this, and I use this on the high school level and college level, is the difference between having a team and a program or a team and a franchise, doing things the right way, repeatable success, instead of, okay, we were 11-5, and five. But we can't explain how we're eleven and five, nor can we repeat it. So it's an anomaly. Right. I mean, but it happens all the time. Like it'll be it, Carol, uh, Carolina was an anomaly. Super Bowl to toilet bowl. Granted, they lost a couple of players, but they shouldn't have fallen that far. Yes, Keekley was out hurt. I mean, it's yeah. it's, I mean, it's the same thing. And that's the key. That's what everybody's not going to be watching for Atlanta because not only are they going to have some turnover on the field, they've had turnover on both sides of the defense or both sides of the coaching staff, which is, which is crazy. And I mean, are we, I know it's eight o'clock, so we're going to take another break and then get into the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about something else. You can finish it. You can, we can, you can finish your statement. We'll take a break. Then we're going to talk about, uh, Charles Oakley real quick and then jump back into the Super Bowl. Okay. Well, actually, no, I'll say, I'll say what I got to say for the Super Bowl talk, and we can go to break right now. All right, folks, we'll go into the break and be right back. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to Sports Q&A. We're on this into the second hour. Make sure you give us a call, 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. So, Oak Tree got chopped down in Madison Square Garden. Um, I'm going to be honest. 
I didn't read anything about Charles Oakley. I just watched the video like three times. Um, <laughs> because I was really trying to understand what happened from the moment that I saw from the video I saw, uh, which whoever did uh, captured it did a good job. You just missed the beginning part where thing the commotion kind of started. Uh, that it appeared that people somebody made a complaint about Oakley or something was happening. Security was there. People started making accusations. Oakley started poking, and then Oakley fell down. I don't, I don't know if somebody leg sweeped him, swept him, or what. But Oakley fell down, and then when he got up, he was fired up, pushing and poking and pushing and poking, and then got basically uprooted and carried on out of Madison Square Garden. Um, <laughs> interesting enough, the reaction from some current in, uh, NBA players have been kind of all across the board. Where, well, where a player like Dwayne Wade kind of put things into a historical perspective, uh, a player who who played balls to the wall for that for that for that franchise from every moment he was there, left everything he could on the court, and the mem and the memory that everybody's going to have of him in Madison Square Garden because I'm pretty sure he's not going to be in there again is him getting carried out, him falling down, all those other things. And and then CP3 basically kind of put everything on on uh, Oakley as if he's at fault. And the thing is, to me, I, and maybe you maybe it was more clear to you. I still don't necessarily see all exactly what truly happened. Don't see him fighting really anybody. Just an argument. It's hard to tell what's going on. To me, it just seems like no. a, a big misunderstanding. From what I've read on social media, um, Twitter had a, a couple of posts about it. Oakley was at the game, minding his business. Now, he was making some comments. Maybe he was talking loud or something. And Jim Dolan, who was not seated, who was seated in the same vicinity, took exception to those comments that were being made. And from there, that's when he told, he called the goons on Oakley. Oakley had not – I mean, it's no different than a fan heckling the team or heckling the owner that they see close. It just – it's just whatever Oakley was saying probably was true, and Dolan didn't take too kindly to it. So he removed him. He had him removed. And I guess in the process of Oakley being removed, he took it – he was like, dude, okay, so you're going to – be upset over this, or you're going to get mad about this, and that's where the kind of it escalated and went to a place that it shouldn't have never had. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are saying is the Knicks are are just writing these, are just cementing themselves as a joke of a franchise because of things like this. It's like, okay, why would you allow yourself to speak down this low in a petty situation you you basically kicked the guy, a, a, a story player from your organization, out of the game because he was saying some things that you didn't like to be said. Yeah. Now you add that to what's going on between Phil Jackson and Carmelo, the the the, the saga, the 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 mess that's going on there. It's like, dude, what is going on with the Knicks? 
at some point you have to look at maybe Phil isn't that guy. The Knicks may who somebody might need to sell the Knicks because this is just ugly. And this is a franchise that you would think that would be above this type of mess, but they're in there fighting like they some school some some schoolyard kids. I, sadly, I think Oakley, uh, the Oakley situation was a a welcome distraction from what's happening on the court. Uh, Field taking shots at Melo, just the whole thing. I mean, it's almost. Uh, I mean, it's a dumpster fire, and it's it's a joke, and it's sad for an organization with a rich history of the Knicks of at least being. I mean, when you think of the Knicks. You don't necessarily think of the Knicks as uh, as as the championship Knicks. You think of the hard nosed, competitive, in your face. At least I do. From the eighties, nineties Knicks going forward, you think of it that way. Now you think of them as a joke. You think of Carmelo is trying to. When is Carmelo going to be able to escape? Because he's been the scapegoat. You think that the field is basically disrespecting the. The, the franchise in which he played for by doing this. I don't know what he's doing as president, um, but it just seems like it's uh, somebody playing 2K and has created a franchise and just hitting A for every decision. Regardless of what A is, they're hitting A. So A, oh, trade your star player. Oh, uh, send something in social media. Oh, uh, kick out a star player. A. And everything is A, and <laughs> nine times out of ten, A is, <laughs> is the wrong answer. The wrong answer. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And and this is the thing is this is it's, – it's like you – know, all this is, and as people don't realize, it's just billionaires playing games with, with real people. It's like playing Monopoly with real people. I'm just making decisions, and it really doesn't affect my income. I'm still going to make money. People are still going – Really be competitive. I yeah, don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, but you know, it's it is crazy. But that's just kind of how it is. Speaking of crazy, because this was crazy, I'm gonna jump right into college basketball real quick before we go into Super Bowl. <sighs> crazy is. State of Michigan, college basketball. That's what crazy is right now with Michigan and Michigan State, who are one game apart in the standings in Big Ten. Michigan State over Michigan State by one win, but Michigan has one more win overall. Um, <clears throat> they're both on roller coaster rides. Um, really surprising for me is Michigan State with all of the talent that they have. Um, state fans around here are panicking. Nobody's calling for Izzo's head, but they're calling for things to happen. Michigan, um, they 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 they, they go. Are calling for head. <laughs> yeah, they they live and die off of Walton. I think Walton is the saving grace of this season and may save Beeline's head if they can get a. a a signature win with these these uh, games coming up on the road 
against Wisconsin or Maryland, uh, even Indiana, which is Bloomington is a tough place to win. All of those things. Um, who's in worse shape at this point in time? Um, I think Michigan. Because of the fact that they're so inconsistent, you don't know what Michigan team we're going to get. Are you going to get the team that beat, blew out Michigan State, that blew out Indiana, or are you going to get the team that looked horrible against Ohio State? And like you said, Derek Walton is the star that uh, stirs the drink for Michigan, but he can't do it alone, whereas I think State still has enough pieces when you look at Miles Bridges, who's a man child, and that, I mean, it sucks he's only going to be at State one year because, I mean, watching him play yesterday in the few games I've seen him, I'm like, that's what college basketball needs. They need that go-to guy, dominant player. You look at even Nick Ward minus the, the tripping situation with, uh, with uh, Mo Wagner, He's another guy. He's that typical junkyard dog player that State used to have with Zach Randolph um, um, and some of those guys, even um, Draymond Green, that undersized power forward that just finds a way to get things done. Uh, Antonio Smith back during the championship days, he's that player that epitomizes what um, what is a once from State. It's just he doesn't have enough players like that. His point guard position is, is, is very suspect. You have Tom Tom Nairn, who is not very good. Then you have Cassius Winston, who's still young and learning the position. Um, but when you look at the comparison, yes, State, State covers it for the starter, but when you look at Xavier Simpson and Cassius Winston, that's why people are upset with Beeline, because Hearing from multiple multiple sources, Winston is supposed to be in Ann Arbor, not East Lansing. But Beeline dropped the ball with that. And if B, if if Winston is in Ann Arbor, that means Bridges is somewhere else. Maybe not Michigan, but definitely not East Lansing. So the the landscape of that program will be totally different with that one decision. But I, I look at. Aaron Harris, um, uh, Bridges, and Ward as the catalyst, whereas I, I still think Michigan doesn't have that that consistent second and third piece. Wagner is trying to get there. DJ Wilson is trying to get there. But the person that's supposed to be there, and I'm disappointed, and I just – and it sucks that I'm about to say this because it's – Don't it's, even say his name, please. I, I can't wait to Urban graduate. Dude, oh my God, dude, he is the bane of my existence, dude. Every time he touches the ball, I just get this, oh, I just get this feeling over me because it's just like his decision making is so off and he's just like so panicky with the ball. And just his natural shot, like maybe it took four years for it to just get on my nerves. That's his natural fadeaway that always seems like he thinks it's going to come in every time. And it's not even close. I don't even know what his shooting percentage is. But in that Ohio State <laughs> game, when he, when he went over and he 
I mean, we still were in the game, and then it was we were still in the game, uh, and this dude shot that fadeaway air ball, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I mean, dude, seriously, man. And that's the thing, it, I, I can't knock him fully because he has, <laughs> at some point in time, not during this year, had some clutch moments at Michigan. Mm-hmm. He has. But I don't know yeah. what it is. I don't know if he has an agent or he got somebody in his ear or whatever it is. I don't know what happened, but this dude has been horrible. I was looking for this dude at least to be 18-point scorer, do whatever it is. And sadly, he's still leading scorer for the team. <laughs> that's that's, that's the whole thing. So like upset. Right, I am, man, because it's like every time I'm, it's like, no, 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 no. And you know how some players are like, no, 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 yes, because they make the shot. And like, no, like, like find your niche because people are not even playing you straight up D anymore because they don't respect your J. It's like you out there playing pickup ball five on five and you make somebody knock down the J two or three times before you even step out. They're not stepping right. out on you right now. They not respecting. They not respecting his jumper, and he will not penetrate unless he has a wide open lane. And then if somebody goes on, he his decision making is bad. So I don't know what I don't know what it is, um, but it just. I mean, literally, it just as you could tell. I probably need to take some water, uh, uh, so get drink some tea to calm my nerves because every time he gets that rock in his hands. And gets to doing the unorthodox stuff. And when it gets to ten clock, ten seconds under the cloud, I'm like, oh, he gonna shoot it. No, oh, he gonna shoot it. And, and he does. He had moments yesterday where he yes. did that. It just everybody else was playing so well. And, and maybe like yesterday and more recently, uh, Walton has realized he has to take the ball to the hole. And Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman had a, a good game yesterday. So maybe this is a sign that he's coming, kind of regaining some of the stuff that he needs to because they need another perimeter guy. Uh, Wagner has been a pleasant surprise this year. He's a guy that I know that has – he's still trying to figure out his body because he does some things that you like, I want him to do this, but I'm still too awkward and gangly to kind of figure it out. And the same with D.J. Wilson. They have games. It's just I think next year is going to be the year for Michigan. It just sucks that Derek – why couldn't Derek Walton have one more year? Because truthfully – Right, if you right. Derek Walton – Why, why he couldn't have a, a magic a, a magic extra year like Aaron Kraft? You right. know, like, <laughs> you know, why, why why he couldn't have that? You're dealing with this, and I had to pull up this dude's stats in Zach. Like and the crazy thing about it, this dude, this dude is shooting forty, almost forty three percent from the field, which is his is is uh, his second highest in career. If I feel like he's shooting under thirty percent, I really do. That's how I feel. He's shooting thirty three percent from three point land, but I just feel that he's playing much worse, and maybe because I've seen him play better. Yeah, and I well, expected. For, I mean, and, and I expected yeah, that development, like moment. he. Right. He had that freshman sophomore jump that every player at Michigan has. But he kind of flatlined. He didn't he's declined points. He's increased in turnovers. Um uh, uh the 
he's increasing the assists by a little bit, but he has not. I, I, and maybe I expected too much. Maybe that's what it is. No, and maybe no, that's why I'm so hard. You're not the only one. And, and truthfully, there's a guy on their bench that transferred from Duke, Charles Matthews. I'm, expi- I'm, I'm excited to see the transition between Matthews and, and, and Irving because I guarantee there's going to be a lot of Michigan fans of like, we could have used this last year. There's going to be a, mm-hmm. I, I guarantee next year, I'm saying it right now, there's going to be at least four games, and that may be lowballing it, where Michigan fans like, if we had this last year from Matthews over Irving, this game would have been a win, this game would have been a win, this game would have been a win. And that's why I said, why, if you could put Derek Wharton with next year's team, with having Matthews, having another year DJ Wilson, having another year more, uh, uh, Wagner, that team could con- legitimately contend for the Big Ten title. I just think, <laughs> if nothing but, but because of addition by subtraction. Because yeah. Irving has killed them many a nights, and it's been bad. Yeah. And... Yeah, and then when, and I just want, I just want, I just want Wharton to just continue to play like this. I think he, I, I don't know if Bakari Alexander gave him a call and like, dude, this is your team. I know you thought it was gonna be Zach's team. It's your team. You got to step up. I don't know yeah. if Bakari gave him a call, told him to come on down to Callahan so I can holler at you real quick. I don't know what happened, but somebody talked to him and let him know that we can't do nothing without you. And maybe if we get somebody else to step up, and if Zach steps up every fifth, sixth, seventh game, then we'll just take whatever that is. But this is your team, and we go how you go. And, and it's clicking. Um, but he still can't do it by himself. And Me personally, no. you talked about uh, Wagner and, and DJ. Next year I think it's going to be the year that Michigan actually is going to have a real dominant front court. Uh, I really believe that. Um, because those guys are going to be a little more polished uh, than they are now. They both can score, but they're going to be a little more polished. I'm just scared for the guard play next year. Uh, but go ahead. No, I, I think I'm just scared for the point guard play. But I think the game against State, uh, Xavier Simpson finally realized he's a college basketball player. Because I, I sent you the text yesterday. I was like, this is the first time I've seen him score in the game. And I've watched mm-hmm. if not all the Michigan games, <laughs> most of them. And he had never scored. And then he turned yeah. into performance yesterday, and it was one of those things where I think it was because he was hesitant. He's still trying to figure out where he fits in. And now, I mean, they list him at six feet. That's being, I think that's generous. He may be 5'11", 5'10", at best. But at least I think with him, he knew, okay, my shot, I don't have confidence in my shot. I'm going to still play defense, though. And and that's one thing in his limited minutes. When he gets in, he's going to be that bulldog on defense. So just imagine him next year after having a year in under uh, – a full year under a Michigan strength and conditioning uh, mm-hmm. uh, system – and understanding what he needs to do as a player. I think they'll be okay, 
at point guard if everybody else steps up. If if Duncan Robinson realizes that he has to do more than just shoot threes. Um, if if uh, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, I think that's going to be the key. If he one thing he he has done this year has played a lot more on the ball and moved mm-hmm. off the ball. So maybe he plays point guard next year, which allows them to be a little bit okay. I mean, he may have to play that Trey Burke role of playing point guard by default, even though you are a two. He's just mm-hmm. a primary ball handler. So, I mean, he's gonna, he has the size. He's 6'4". I forgot he was that big. Um, you look at that, potentially the start lineup next year, I'll put Muhammad Ali at at point, Charles Matthews at the two, uh, Duncan Robinson at the three, and then play the two big fellas, DJ and uh, Wagner. That's a good enough team to get you 20-plus wins. Yeah. It, it definitely Not is. It. And, you know, <laughs> And looking at it, it state, just I don't know what that team is going to look like next year right. because you figure, okay, we figure Bridges is going to go pro, but what happens if, for some strange reason, I'm not saying it's going to happen, Nick Ward starts filling himself and decides, oh, I'm going pro too. I had a good enough season. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test these waters out because a, a player that I've been somewhat disappointed in is Josh Langford. And maybe this is the same thing as with – uh, Xavier Simpson, he's still trying to figure out who he is as a player, and he hasn't been the scorer that a lot of people expected him to be coming out of high school. And there was another guy Michigan had in their grasp. He was all set to go to Michigan, and D-line, oh, there's no more room at the end. We just signed Tyus Battle. We just got a commitment from Tyus Battle, who decommitted and went to Syracuse and having a good season. So we didn't take Joshua. Josh Langford. Just imagine this team with Josh Langford and Cassius Winston. Langford could play the two, which gets Irving out of that, that having having to play as many minutes as he is now, and it makes the team a lot better. That's true. I mean, and that's the one thing I think now is kind of showing his head with Beeline and number one, the players that he goes after, and then number two, the the players that he loses out with having his mentality because, you know, he has his mentality based upon the type of player and the type of style of play that he has where he doesn't attract those top-tier players for the most part. I mean, if he gets and somebody he as a – The problem is he doesn't offer scholarships until guys visit the campus. So you have a guy that could be interested in Michigan – but can't get up there to the summer, Michigan may not offer. So in that interim, you got Illinois, Michigan State, um, Xavier, Cincinnati, all these top programs across the country offering this guy scholarships. You're like, hmm, Michigan ain't too pressed about me. I'm going to just start looking elsewhere. And it, it works against them. Whereas I think he may, it's a couple of guys he's offered scholarships this year, but one of the top players in the state of freshman for the 2018 class still does not have a Michigan offer. Why? Michigan is already 
thin. I mean, the state of Michigan is thin in talent. So you're going to look at a guy that you know could fit a need or could fit potentially as a, a player that could help the program, and you're like, mm, we'll wait. That's what's killing yeah. D-Line. And he's not a car salesman. And I'm not asking this guy to be dirty. I'm not asking him to be the the slime ball telling lies. But there's there's a level of competitive edge that you have to have as a college basketball coach to be successful. Um, every all programs do it, and think about it. Once Duke decided, okay, because they were the school, they were the program, but we're not gonna, we're trying to stay away from the one and done. They did it. I mean, Elton Brand was one of the first, and I think that was by shock to the program. But recently, look at it. They realized if we're going to be competitive, we're going to contend for national championships. We may have to get that Kyrie Irving. We may have to get that Jaleel Okafor type player that we know without a shadow of a doubt, is only going to be here for one year and just make the most of that one year he's here. Izzo is starting to play that, that game as well. He realizes, I may get that guy that's going to be in East Lansing for a semester and a half. And, and Bridges, I mean, just imagine Michigan State without Miles Bridges, how bad that team will be. And this is a freshman. So you have well, to and- sometimes play that, that game. Yeah, and here's the thing. It was talked about on uh, on local radio here. Oh, shoot. My bad. We got to call it, too. Uh, uh, on local radio here is you mentioned Izzo going after those one-and-donners. The, the opinion of a lot is that Izzo does not know how to coach those one-and-donners. He's the one that coaches those guys up, get those guys to, to buy into the system, make them earn their keep. You know, where he's keeping guys who normally would start on any team and holding them back for them to develop and, buy, and basically saying if they're not playing D, they're not playing. Um, that's a, a, a something that's been discussed recently, you know, basically after that Michigan whooping, uh, that he may not know how to coach these one and dunners. And if he doesn't know how to coach them, then you shouldn't recruit them. I'm going to hold on that because we got a caller on here. And uh, let's get this caller on here. Hey, caller, you on there? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing all right in yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty what? good. Pretty good. I just, I just turned turned you guys on. I hear you talking about Izzo and, and what's going on with State of Michigan, and I was just listening to you, Al, and and mm-hmm. and, and agreeing and agreeing with what you with 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 what you said about. Israel not being able to coach one and dunners. Primarily, it's not that he don't he can't coach. He don't want to coach one and dunners. He he want guys mm-hmm. to break their games down and you know uh, conform their game to his system. And and you know you you need to be there for for more than one or two years to do that. And and if you're not going to be there, then you know he, he's looking for he's looking for that recruit that's going to commit three to four years so that. You know they can be a part of the program. I mean, he has been notorious for that, and 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 those that come in there with the one and done attitude, you know, he he don't he don't push them off to the side. He uses them, but they never flourish under his system because he need he need he need consistent, you know, uh, players that's going to be there three or four years. Yeah, and that's a, and that's the tough thing when you got a Hall of Fame coach who's been doing things his own way. I mean. 
Coach K, it took a while for him to go around, but the way Coach K coaches, you know, it it works. He he lets them guys go. He takes the takes the the the, the training wheels off and, and lets the, the, the pre uh conference season and lets these guys go in and get used to doing what they do and let the natural talent plays his part. You know that, that Calipari does it. He's been doing it his whole career pretty much. Um, right. But he, he, he recruits on that. He he recruits oh, yeah. on, on that on that premise that, you know, I only want you for one year, but I need all of you for one year. You need to do it the way I want you to do it to, for one year, and I guarantee you once we win, you have a ticket to the next level. And they buy in quick, and they buy in early. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. And, and, and that's why you can have a guy like Anthony Davis only score 10 points his one year in Kentucky, and people were like, okay, is he capable of putting up big numbers? But once he got to the NBA in New Orleans, we saw who the real Anthony Davis was. I mean, even with uh, Carl Anthony Towns, his one year in Kentucky, it wasn't the, the superstar. He wasn't the true superstar player that we thought he was going that he's evolved into on a professional level. But it worked in the system. He knew what he had to do while at Kentucky. He picked up a certain skill set. He picked up aspects of the game from Calipari because he's had the, the DeMarcus Cousins. He's had the, the countless other players, big men that have had success. So, like, I'm going to get this while learning or, or while adapting to the, the flow of the game here in Lexington, and I stand the chance of competing for a national championship. Look, guys, I know I know, I don't want to change the subject on you guys, but I got, I, I've, been, I've been dying to ask you this question, both of you. This question: The Lions take Quincy Wilson with the first pick at cornerback, and then in the second second round, you sitting there with two picks. You sitting with Dante Foreman or Zach Cunningham? I know. I know. Per I know. <laughs> oh, you were. But this is the thing. I, I just. For one, I'm, I'm going to talk about the, the, the Wilson pick first. I'm, I'm still... No, 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 the Wilson pick is automatic. Let's just say they're going to take Wilson at, okay. at that pick. Okay. You said that number two with Dante Foreman or Zach Cunningham. Which one would you take? Mm. Uh, one... And this is this is the, the the decision. One feels a need, and one could easily be a BPA informant. And looking at, I'm I guess because I, I look at that defense and the holes that they have, I may kick myself down the line, but I got to go with Cunningham because you need a couple about you, Al? Listen. <laughs> The the fields the need in so many areas. I mean, I'm with you, Q, because he feels the need, and I think that he could even. I mean, we're not gonna get rid of the whole uh, linebacking core. I think it may be the best of both worlds. I think I will have to go with Cunningham in that position. We need some type of hybrid. We almost we we need somebody that can cover both because we can't cover a. a a uh, a tight end to save our lives 
let alone tackle somebody and make them go backwards. Uh, we like that speed and that overall speed, and we need that overall speed, especially uh, at the linebacking position. Yeah, I, I agree with both you guys. With if given the choice between all things being equal, you got to go with defense. You got to they have got to find a way to to make to get playmakers on that defense, so that defense can be a top five defense for the next three or four, five, six years. And then let's take our let's lay our hat on something. And if it's got to be something, as long as we got Stafford, then if we got Stafford in the defense. I think that that gives us a better chance than Staff, Stafford and the offense and a mediocre defense. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you brought up that scenario. I was just checking draft tech because they just updated their my draft today, and this this will be my dream scenario. First round was Cunningham, the, the linebacker. Second round was. Uh, the choice between the defensive end from Florida State and the def- and Carl Lawson. I think they had them taking Carl Lawson. I would have took uh, the defensive end from Florida State, just especially after watching him dismantle Michigan. And the third pick in the third round was Tankersley from Clemson. Six-one uh, yeah, cornerback. See, I like that boy. Yeah. And that's what I say. I know how you feel about bigger cornerbacks. So you address all three needs. Consecutive picks, you get your 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 uh, your defense set in order. You have a, a significant upgrade in talent, and you still at some point can address running back. I think um, it's, it's just because I think Mixon might feel, fall to like the fourth or fifth round, and if Mixon is there at the fourth or fifth, I'll snatch him up in a heartbeat. That too, because I didn't realize how big he was. I didn't know he was six one two twenty five. So he's bigger than a lot of people that I that I gave him credit for. And because of the questionable situation, he's he's a first round talent, but it's going to slide to the third, the fourth, if not fifth round. So yeah, if he's there yeah. at the fourth round after you've taken care of what you have to with other picks, I wouldn't be mad at taking Nixon. Nixon. Yeah, I yep. like him. But guys, I had to call in and get that in. I've, I've been like, I got to call them, see if, how they're going to go. I know they're going defense with me. Hey, we got to get this defense right. But uh, yeah. we're getting close to the madness of March, and uh, our home team's going to do a little bit better than what they're doing. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 see, I see Michigan making the tournament, but Michigan State might have to string something together if they're thinking about making it. Oh, and one more I, thing I, I before I hang up. Go ahead. Before I before I go, uh, they have the um, UOD is having the, uh, a retirement of Terry Duras number tomorrow, and um, it's going to be a lot of folks there from that from that Dick Vitale team that went to the Sweet Sixteen. I talked to I talked to Earl Curitan today, and he's going to be there, so it's going to be quite a few people there. It should be a good turnout, and uh, they're going to retire Terry Duras number. Too bad, too bad they won't. Too bad they can't make him retire because he's still playing in the sixty and over leagues, scoring forty. <laughs> wow. He ain't got nothing else to do. Really? Come on, dude, I let it go. <laughs> boy, like like the saying goes, ball is life, and for him it is. Because I guarantee, the minute he sits down, that's when everything gonna go 
start going wrong for him because that's all he knows. But if he can still get up and down the court and put it in the basket, I am not mad. I am not mad at him. All right, guys. I want to thank y'all for taking my call. I'm out of here. Y'all have a good right, one. Take it easy, Carl. Yeah, that's uh. I mean, look here. We we get on this draft thing. Look, he uh, talking about the draft. You already know where I went. I don't went. I don't went. And look, this is an a unofficial and unwarranted, shameless plug that they don't probably don't even know we doing. But first, firstpick dot com, you know that's that's our go to right there. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a draft simulators. Uh, yeah, shoot, half the time is how I build my first round draft. Uh, our draft predictions based on some of the things I see in there and some of the needs, but um. Yeah, we we can't jump all the way in the rest of the way with both feet on, on talking about the draft yet. We got still we still got some some free agency stuff to come through, but we got to get into talking about the Super Bowl. First question, question I'm gonna ask. I'm, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. My question is. No, nah, because we might. Go ahead. No, nah, go ahead. I said we probably gonna be asking the same question. Well, no, we. I don't know. My question is. Where does this rank? I did uh, uh we did a, a poll on where does this rank as far as Super Bowl? Best Super Bowl, top five, top ten, or just another Super Bowl for you? Top five. To to me, it's top three, um, and it was because of the finish, the unpro, uh, the improbable comeback. I mean, you had so many records that were broken in that the biggest deficit overcome in the Super Bowl. Most passing yards, first overtime, uh, for you know, first four-time MVP, all these other things, uh, most passing uh, receptions in the Super Bowl, all these things came into play, and what had to be the, you couldn't write this. I mean, the 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 book, the movie for Brady's story, whenever it comes out, is going to be a bestseller just because of the the unpredictability and unprobability of it all occurring in the first place. Um, yeah. But let's go. We got some set questions, and we got to stick to the script because, we'll, we, guys, we promised 2017 we we stopping at 10. So let's go through. So the first question is, the question that everybody's asking, and depending on who you're a fan of, who uh, did the Falcons coach, I mean coach, did they choke or did the Patriots squeeze the life out of them in the second half? I mean, I and I had I saw Jim Brown make a comment about this, and he took exception to those who felt that the Falcons choked because now you, you're taking it away, you're taking you're not giving credit to what the the Patriots did, and I have to agree. The mm-hmm. despite what Atlanta should have done, didn't do, could have done, whatever, New England made the plays when they needed to. It was. It may have taken to the second half to get going, but whether it was the forced fumble by Dante Hightower, the the, the countless catches by James White, the the, the improbable catch by Julian Edelman, um, they did what they had to do to make plays, and they made the plays when they needed on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be too critical of the Falcons. 
Um, my my dad was funny because uh, Falcons celebrating, diving into the end zone when they had the big lead. A big lead is the hardest thing to keep in any sport. The things, I mean, because then just imagine if Atlanta played how they played. They scored 21 points at, at half. If they would have put up 42 points in this game and New England never got back in this game, then it would have been about them trying to show them up and everything else. To me, football is the sport in which you should not get flat for running up the score. Just for instances like this. Uh-huh. No other sport are you coming back like this because you, in every other sport, each score is only worth one, two, or three. Not six. And the thing is, is that just Atlanta, I just think that they just became complacent and then trying not to lose. But I also give Atlanta credit for sticking to the script and what got them there and what got them that lead. People want to criticize and and overanalyze the third and one trying to pass the ball when, when the fumble took place. Listen, that's how Atlanta played all year long. They played aggressive. But when you play aggressive, it's high risk, high reward. And that time, uh-huh. the risk won. And, I, I mean, I can't really knock them. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they just didn't get it done. The defense was gassed. 96 plays, they were gassed. And, you know, you could nitpick and everything you weigh. They, I don't think Atlanta could have done too much more. To do that, I'm mean, granted they had that big hold in play when they were already in field position, field goal position. They took the sack, all those things. But I don't think they could could have done anything more. They could have been small things that would have got them to score one more time in that second half. I mean, they, they were only opportunity to score one time in the second half when they didn't score, which was when they got pushed out of field goal position. Outside uh-huh. of that, it was the fact that they couldn't stop. New England, like they were able to stop them in the first half. They were not able to get pressure with four down linemen like they were in the first half. And that just ended up being their Achilles heel. I mean, it was nothing they could do yeah, I mean, to stop the force once they got to a certain point. Only thing they would have yeah, saved was, them is getting the point flip. It was the, that thing called momentum. When it gets rolling, it's hard to stop it. And if you're on the bad side of it, you will get ran down by it. And you said that you're not going to hold that third. The, the issue with that third and one play that on the fumble from high tire, it was just a bad – it wasn't a bad call. It was just bad execution because uh, Dante um, – no, um, Devonta Freeman forgot to block his guy. He failed to block um, Hightower, and in the process, I don't know what he was thinking. What he was—he thought he was just supposed to just go out into the play, go out into the route, because he started downfield and then was like, "Oh crap! Let me try to get back." And by then, it was too late. And you could tell from the play, Matt Ryan did not even look that way because he did not expect a free man to come from that way, because. Freeman was supposed to block him, and that goes to execution. You force the the, the true essence of winning. You force good teams into bad decisions. 
and it's not necessarily play calling, but it's it's the actual play, doing things within the play. You force Jake Matthews into two critical holding plays that kill two drives. That's not what it maybe it was Atlanta gripping, but New England forced that grip because even with the sack, they were still in field goal range until the hold call. Right. And and Atlanta, everybody, oh, they should have ran, they should have ran, they should have ran. They got, they, I, I happen to be watching, uh, I think it was either NFL Network or ESPN, they re-showed clips of the game, and they were doing like, they would have, they had the guys mic'd up. Allen Branch, I guess after the first half, they were, they made a key stop on the run. He was like, they would not run the ball anymore. And sure enough, they didn't. And after that second, that first down stop where Freeman lost one or two yards, depending on where you lost that yard, it changed things. you like, okay, I, I know we need to start running the clock, but can I run the ball again and put myself in the third and nine, the third and eight? No. I got to do what I've been used to doing, and maybe they should have ran a shorter route. They should have changed that up, but them calling a pass play wasn't the most egregious thing that they could have done. Um, and the thing is, you look at it, the the play was open. If Freeman hadn't missed that block, but then you look at it, Freeman missed the block. Freeman is not out of the two running backs is not known as the blocking back. Coleman is. And where was Coleman? Out, out injured. So it was like a comedy of errors, the, the, the perfect storm for, for, uh, the Patriots to, to come in and, and and win the game. In your opinion, now I gotta ask you this. Okay, no, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just funny. I call her. I call her back. We talking about the Super Bowl. <laughs> you want to bring them in on the conversation? The, go the, ahead. The hey, caller. I'm sorry. We we didn't see you waiting, but I I I can tell you're excited about the Super Bowl talk. <laughs> That's Atlanta. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> if we could turn that into a drop. Oh, oh I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do, turn it into a drop. And that's funny. And then he drops the call. Like that's classic. That's it. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, but now, what I was going to ask you is, and this is going back to the catch by Edelman. What, which one was the, be- was the better catch, the David Tyree catch or the Julian Edelman catch? Ed- Edelman catch was tougher because of how he had to catch it. Tyree had to catch it. Tyree was the only one who could catch it. It couldn't be interception in that play. It was that focus. Tyree had to focus, and then he just used the man's body against him. Not granted, anything could have went wrong. He could have dropped that ball. But in that play, basically, Edelman took everything by control. Ball was on the feet, and he snatched it up and did a great job of not hitting the ball. 
at least why he didn't have full control in that. I think Edelman was a better one. Tyree looked more impressive, but I think when it comes down to it in the moment in the game, when that occurred, I think the Edelman catch was just a notch higher than than, than David Tyree. So the fact that it was a tip ball, so you had to have the concentration from that, then the battle to try to secure it, he lost control of it and had to catch it again. So mm-hmm. I have to agree with you. That was a great catch. And some people point to the – even with the Tyree catch, Eli took a hell of a shot from that from the front side of it for him before he even – like in the process of him getting it off. But I just think because of how it happened, it was – there was three Falcon players around him. Not only did he uh, Alfred tip the ball, what if that that Falcon defender should have kicked? He could have kicked the ball and did something to deflect it. He he couldn't do that, and then there was a double catch. So I think that's yeah. what what makes it so much more impressive. And just imagine, do you blame the Falcons coaches or the people up in the booth for allowing Dan Quinn to? To challenge that play, because think about it: if they don't have to, if they don't have to make that challenge, they have one timeout in 54 seconds after New England ties the game up before the end of regulation, and maybe they get down, and that changes how they address how they handle that final drive, and they go and they get a good a big play, and it, it sets up for the winning field goal. Uh, I think it was a knee jerk reaction. Um. I don't, you know, I don't think he really got buzzed. In my opinion, I think he just went on his own. That like, there's no way that that was what it was. Um, and he kind of came over for it on the short end of the stick. I mean, I think it probably would have changed how they approached the last minute of the game if he wouldn't have challenged it and they had a timeout in their in their hand uh, because that last drive was. Really, like, dude, y'all fooling around about to fool around and get in the ball with too much time on the clock. They could maybe try to do something because they had timeouts in the pocket. So, mm-hmm. um, I just think that they didn't get necessarily get themselves the best chance to win by by doing that. But sometimes in that moment, you almost don't want that to be a play so much that you make it a play, you know. But, yeah. Oh, folks, we're almost all right. So let's do this. We're going to do – so did Dan Quinn suffer from uh, Seahawk-itis with that third down play uh, or trying to pass him when they were already in the field goal range? A lot of people criticize him for it. Is that just makeup or is it just trying to outthink yourself or is it just – this is 